Vodka. 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 Vodka Hey everyone, it's Amber Love of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget you can sponsor the show and the website through Patreon. You just go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. It's that easy. You can pledge as little as a dollar per creation, which means a dollar per week, like a vodka clock episode, or if I do some really extensive in-depth blog thing, but it'd never be more than twice a week. So today my guest is here and um, we might get explicit. I don't know. We might get spoilery. I don't know. That's up to him. So um, I'm, I'm okay being explicit and spoilery, but um, you know, I'll let that be the guest's choice. So uh, I'm with Eric Palicki today. Eric, welcome. Hi, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing really well. So we needed to get caught up for a really, really long time. And finally got five whole minutes to see each other. <laughs> oh, convention life. I don't know how many consecutive New York Comic Cons where we were both there on the floor at the same time and did not run into each other. I know. It had to be several years in a row because I haven't missed one yet. I only missed the first one. So I've been to everyone since the second. Yeah, me too. I missed like the the whatever the very first one was I heard was really different. Um, yeah, so year two on, I've been there. But um, was this your first time at a specific booth? Because you weren't at like the Eric Palicki booth. You were at Comixology. Right. I had uh, an opportunity along with a lot of other uh, Comixology submit creators to, you know, sit at their booth in Artist Alley for an hour, two hours, three hours at a time throughout the weekend to sell my books and, you know, sign books and talk to people. Uh, so that was that was my first time at that show. You know, not my first time ever at a convention with a table, but first time at New York. Was that unusual to be signing hard copies of books at a table for a digital distributor? You know, I so they did this at C2E2 as well. I don't know if you've ever done that show or not, but no, they, I haven't they, they sponsor the Artist Alley every um, at, at both shows. Uh, I think they're probably moving forward going to be sponsoring artist alley at all the read pop shows i i guess i might be speaking out of school but i don't and i don't know but it is really kind of uh counterintuitive right to be selling hard copies yeah i was wondering about that um but i mean it's very nice it is and you know in addition to that they had uh promotional copies of some of their more popular submit books that were in print and it was uh, books like like Fresh Romance and uh, Heathen and a couple other books that have never been in print before that strictly were digital up till that point and it it does seem counterintuitive but I guess Comicsology is owned by Amazon right so maybe that's you know two or three steps down the line we'll be seeing you know Comicsology uh, branded imprint from Amazon who knows. That's true, because Amazon owns uh, things like CreateSpace and Kindle, so they're kind of, I think, used to the the transition, you know, because CreateSpace is the printed version and Kindle is the digital version of things. Yeah, I, so. I, you know, and, and if CreateSpace wasn't so cost prohibitive for a, uh, a uh, color book, I would be using them as well for, for my print books. 
but color books are so expensive to print through create space. Right. Did you, um, like what sort of printing have you looked into? Because I'm, I've used Kablam and I've used a smaller publisher called rink. Um, the only ones so I, think I, I've, I've I use, used. um, I use Kness, which is out of Pennsylvania. They were formerly in San Francisco, but uh, I was turned on to them by um, uh, uh, Erica Schultz uses them, and uh, Enrique Jang publishes all of the uh, um, Red Stylo books through uh, Kness, and it's 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 digital printing versus offset. Which, if you're going to have anything printed in the United States versus overseas, that's the only way that it's really cost effective, especially at the uh, the kind of numbers that I think you and I would be looking at. Right, when you're doing a, a lower print run, then um, right, obviously it, it actually gets more expensive. Yeah, if I um, if I was going to print forty thousand copies of something, then uh, that would be lovely, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> Hope you'd have a place to store all that. Right. Maybe someday. <laughs> have your own specific like storage unit of just your books. So um, on Comixology, though, we can just backtrack a little. I When I look up your name, because I remember they had like um, every once in a while, they do these really big sales and they'll have like a huge bundle and it's like a, like a stupid amount of books, like so many books in a bundle. And it'll be like, number ones for like, you know, a hundred different books and orphans was in one of them in one of these bundles that I, that I picked up. And it was like really super like this cheap way to, you know, turn people on to new things. So I was like, okay, so then if that book is in there, then you're definitely on comiXology. And then I saw you at the, the booth for signings and I saw that you have three titles listed with them. So are all three of them with their submit program or are they different? Uh, they're all three through submit. Uh, you know, that is really, uh, for a while they weren't letting any new publishers in period, but for a self publisher, that's really the only in through comiXology, which I, you know, I, I can't, uh, fault them for that. Uh, but, but yeah, all of my books as of right now are self published, uh, for now, uh, I do have, a book coming out through a uh, another publisher next year, but um, you know that. Congratulations! <laughs> thank you. Um, the uh, you know that that bundle, the bundle that had orphans in it, was the very first time they had done that, and it was through South by Southwest in 2014, and they did, like you said, a hundred number one issues for was it ten bucks? Yeah, I think it was ten dollars. And that was downloaded over five thousand times. So essentially that put Orphans number one in front of more readers than Orphans would have gotten, even if it was published through somebody like Boom, which is just an incredible thing. And I just totally changed the trajectory of my, you know, somewhat nascent comics career. Did you notice any kind of big return then on that? Like, did you start getting, I don't know, like more followers online and more people asking you to, you know, talking to you at shows or anything? Like, was there something really specific about being part of a bundle that you, that you noticed other than the numbers? Uh, immediately after that, I did see a spike at that time. I believe it was only issues one, two, and three. 
of the uh, of the book. You know, there are a total of five issues, but I think only the first three were available at the time, or possibly only the first two. And I did see a spike in those other issues afterwards. So yeah, I mean, there were there was a, a carryover, and uh, as far as you know, whether I have more Twitter followers now than after. I I wasn't savvy enough to pay attention to that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, now, let me just like as an example, I'm going to like walk through the process here as if I'm like, you know, navigating comicsology. So if I click on orphans, for example, it gives um, uh, at least for you because I this is part of submit. So I'm assuming that this is something that you provide this information to them. It has you listed as the writer has uh, your artist listed Branko Jen Javanovic. Jovanovic. Jovanovic. Yeah. But I mean, okay. his first name. So is... he's actually authentic, authentically Russian. Yeah. His, his first right. name is Bronco though. And that's gotta yeah. be the coolest first name I've ever heard. It is. It is. So, and then you're, you have three different color artists listed, unless that is just that they meant one and the other two belong somewhere else. No. Uh, so if you're looking at the, the full series, the first issue uh, was colored. The first and second issues were each colored by a different uh, color artist before uh, Fred's stressing jumped in for issues three, four, and five. So there are three color artists across okay. the series. Okay, because something that I noticed about Comixology and this, I sort of, um, like I asked them through Twitter one day because I got kind of, um, not annoyed, but I just was wondering why it was that their credits were not entirely accurate. And they said that that it's just that how people give them the information, how publishers give them the information. So if you have a, you know, whether it's a Vertigo book or a Marvel book, if the information is wrong, it's because they were sent the wrong information. And I used to write databases. So we used to call it garbage in, garbage out. Right. You know, if you don't get the right data, you're not going to get the right results. And um, so with, uh, with this, you know, you're also listed as the, you know, your publisher basically. Because um, I guess because if you're through submit and um, like you have a nice little logo that they do, they do let you know that it's part of submit, which is cool. Right. So uh, when I started out, uh, you know, they ask you for your publisher information and I didn't think at the time to brand myself beyond just being Eric Palicki, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if you look like at uh, uh, Fabian Ranhell's uh, site he's uh, believe in comics or um, uh, Rachel Deering is uh, tiny behemoth press in her submit books and uh, Becky Cloonan's got something too and I can't yeah remember. usually people have some ki- kind of like their little, little yeah their self-published little imprint kind of name yeah mm-hmm. so but that works well like Janelle you you know you had mentioned fresh romance and Janelle Aslan started her own company to be her own publisher and it's actually i think called rosie press which really confuses me every time i see somebody tweet that because there's an author that i follow whose name is rose pressy <laughs> so i get i get confused often obviously um but yeah i mean that's that's fine so you've got now because of how they work as far as um drilling down information uh 
you know, if I type in your name, it asks me if I want to click on you as the publisher or you as the creator. And I'm assuming that when your new project comes out by somebody else, I'll, it'll be just as easy for me to search and find your name and find that new thing listed. I would hope. I would hope so, too. <laughs> or to just follow me on Twitter, because you know that for the first six months that the book's available, I will tweet about it like a maniac. Absolutely. I hope you have like a lot of control over that, because... um no matter who the publisher is, they obviously have different, um, you know, there's like, there's going to be DC Marvel and image where they have their own like gigantic press lists and send out information. And Archie does too. Um, so if it's anyone who's not one of those four, <laughs> you know, you have to make sure that you're still sending out your own uh, press announcements and press copies. That's okay. It's, I am, I am used to getting uh, my own, Press releases not read, so it'll be okay to to you know send out press releases on behalf of someone else and not have them read. <laughs> oh, come on! No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I, um, you know, I have uh, I, I look forward to that part of it. I look forward to the uh, making the rounds as promoting it. And uh, somebody had a, a really great phrase for it, and I can't remember what it is, but the whole cycle of you know, you promote a book when it's in previews and then you promote a book when it's actually available or, or, you know, and, and the, the whole merry-go-round of trying to, to drum up sales. You basically, in the comics industry, you have to drum up uh, interest in the book twice, once when it's being solicited and once when it's actually available to buy. Yeah, because um, basically if the pre-orders aren't done, which is three months ahead of time, then you're kind of, you can be really screwed. Like there's a chance that people will jump on when a book comes out, you know, because more people will have seen it and more people will start talking about it, which is great. Like, you know, every new comic book day, uh, people, there are certain hashtags you can follow, like just, you know, NCBD and people will talk about new comic book day on Wednesdays or Wednesday comics or something like that. So Wednesdays are obviously a big time on Twitter. And it seems like people are generally talking about a, like a top three list of books. Like they're not talking about a whole lot of different things on Wednesdays. They'll be, you know, from all over the place, all different kinds of people will end up somehow keyed and honed into the same titles. And they could be really indie titles. Um, like um, what the heck came out last week? Monstrous was one. Um and, you know, so every week there's usually something that's kind of trendy. Yeah, I don't know. We're getting to the point where it's it's tough to call image indie anymore. And it's I don't, true. And I don't mean that, that as a bad thing, but... No, but that's true. But it's still creator-owned. Correct. Right. So I think that's why they get the distinction. And yet Dynamite <laughs> doesn't really do much creator-owned stuff, and they're still considered indie. <laughs> Um, so can you give us any information? Can you tell me anything about your new project since it's um, pre-order time? Well, yeah. It's So it's as far as I know, so I'm going to – I haven't actually been given clearance to talk about anything, but uh, they haven't given that to me. So it's it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. It's, it's a book. It's called Fake Empire. It's going to be a graphic novel published uh, through Darby Pop Publishing. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. And so they are now partnered with Magnetic Press. 
So it'll be in the magnetic press section of previews. Uh, it's illustrated by um, an artist named uh, Vinnie Rico, who uh, previously did a book, a, com a comicsology submit book called The End is Totally Nigh. Uh, so you can check out his work on that book. And then it'll be colored by Fred Stressing again, who did a bunch of my orphans uh, pages. Uh, Erica Schultz is going to do the letters. And um, uh, Cena Grace is actually uh, illustrating the cover for the book. So that's pretty exciting. That's very exciting. He does glorious work. Absolutely stunning work. Yes. Uh, so uh, Rachel, um, sorry. Renee Gearlings, who is uh, one of the editorial uh, bigwigs at Darby Pop, uh, worked with Cena when he interned at Top Cow forever ago. So that's how that uh, particular love connection was made. But I, I can't be, couldn't be more excited about the cover. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I had heard the news that Darby Pop... Uh, which had been partnered with IDW that they were that they were going to be having a change. I didn't know when that change was taking place, so I guess it's this month or um, yeah, because well, New York was a couple months ago, but um, so I guess it's fairly recent that they're under a, a new partnership. Um, but they seem like really cool people, and they do some interesting books. I've read. Um, uh, Doberman, which cracked me up. So great. Yeah. So yeah, they're books that I've read so far that they do share a sense of humor, which mine is, uh, my book is not going to be quite that lighthearted in tone. Um, the, uh, the, the four word pitch for my book is, uh, who killed the tooth fairy, which is five words. So, uh, sounds creepy, but it is, uh, it's it's literally that it's about uh the notion that uh fairy kind and and i've kind of positioned it as a sequel to uh a midsummer night's dream so characters like titania and oberon have speaking parts uh that the the fairy kingdom doesn't actually there's not an actual physical place that's the fairy kingdom and so fairies live side by side with humans in secret and when one of them, who happens to be the Tooth Fairy, is murdered, it sort of throws this whole veil of secrecy into question. You know, do the humans know that they exist? Uh, you know, so there there becomes this whole race to find the killer before their secret gets out. Okay, so is this grown-up type um, Hellboy level, or is this like kids... More like goosebumps stuff of legend. Uh, I would say that it's it's more the former. It's more okay. it's more like your your urban fantasy. Uh, Hellboy is a good touchstone. Um, I just just because of the fairy element of it, I I am reluctant to compare it to fables. But okay. I've but it's like fables. It's but it's fables. It's it's definitely got that okay. mature readership level. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say because there's definitely a a big difference like there is kids horror i mean basically like scooby-doo is kids horror in my opinion um you know and but like stuff of legend when i um when that book first came out i was like this is scary as hell like if i was reading this as a kid i would go throw this somewhere and hide like it you know stuff of legend i think is pretty damn dark <laughs> 
so um so yeah there's uh you know but then there's the more mature stuff and and i think hellboy on the other hand can be like really comedic so yes yes and those are i mean those are both i mean that's those are just two of the the touchstones like i said i didn't like to bring up the fables i'm sort of reluctant to do that just because you know fairy versus fairy tale is uh you know they're they're not they're real, not the same thing not, yeah they're not the same thing but no. uh on a a very superficial level you can see why people would feel like one was derivative of the other okay well did you do you watch the tv show um well, i don't think it's currently on lost girl it's on netflix uh, i've heard of it i haven't actually seen it Okay, because they they take a kind of a different spin where they consider anything supernatural fey. So they just um, so no matter what kind of uh, species, uh, you know, a person being thing, whatever is they it's part of the fey world, which is a little bit maybe I've seen that take done before, but some people have a very specific idea of what you know fairies are. You know, they they sort of think of pixies like it's only a specific kind of creature right like your tooth fairy which the tooth fairy um what the heck were the tooth fairies in they were in something that was there was a horror movie about tooth fairies wasn't there yeah it was, it was uh actually joe harris wrote it uh did he really yeah, it was yeah. it was a movie oh, that he wrote back before he was uh really heavily into comics and i can't remember the title of it because it's the, the the they're afraid to fall asleep because yeah the tooth fairy is going to come, like, rip the teeth out of their mouths or something. Oh, Joe Harris. I can't believe that was him. That's a hoot. So did you grow up with storytelling parents, or is this, like, something that just became you? Like, you just became the storyteller writer? You know, that is a really good question, and, and I sometimes wonder where it came from. Uh, I think, you know, my dad is a spinner of tall tales. Um, Darkness Falls is the name of Joe's movie, and it was actually based on a short film that he also wrote called The Tooth Fairy. Okay, there we go. Um, but uh, my, my dad was a, a very convincing fibber when we were growing up. Um, so I, and I, I am not, you know, my sister is, is a, is, is an, is an actress and she's good at it. But, uh, people like to joke that, that I left all of my acting uh, talent in the womb for her because I am not a convincing actor at all. Are you twins? No, no. And we're about four and a half years apart, but, uh. So then, you know, so then we can all dream that someday you'll write something that she'll be in. Uh, that's the goal. Because uh, that would be really awesome. For for all of us. That would be, uh, you know, and, and we've actually talked about writing something together. We've actually, uh, we've actually gone as far as to write a comic script together. So, you know, that's always something that's on the table for the future when she's not quite so busy. Um. It's really exciting though to see her very busy. Yes, yes, it's 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 cool because after so many, you know, you know that that industry, and there are so many fits and starts in how 
you know, that industry works where you are on top of the world one minute and then your cast is Wonder Woman and then the pilot is filmed and it's shot down and then you don't work for a year and then you get the agents, you know, and I'm mostly editorializing her career because she's had lots of roles in the meantime. You know, everybody, all of my friends talk about how great John Wick was. That's the thing. Like, I didn't know that that was her. I was enamored by that movie. It was like one of my the best movies ever. And I had no idea that was her. <laughs> it's like, damn, you just changed somebody's hair color and I fall for the disguise. <laughs> I'm like, I fall for the Clark Kent look. You know, that's me. I, yeah. And, you know, she I don't I don't even know that she expected it to be the hit that it was. But it was just, you know, it was it was it was exactly it said it was exactly the movie it set out to be. They made exactly the movie they wanted it to be. And and I think that that's really the best um, the, the best barometer of success that you can you can have is were you successful in bringing your vision to life? And that movie is just, I think, a perfect example of that because it's not for everyone, but I think there are a lot of people who don't like action movies that really loved that movie just because it was so damn well made. It was amazing. Yeah, it was just amazing. I mean, it was beautifully shot. Absolutely, like, amazing. Like, the action in it was, everything had a purpose. It, you know, which is different than a lot of the movies that are out there that are just kind of, like, boring. Like, like the, the Man of Steel fight scene that everybody complains about. Well, they complain about it for a reason, you know. Um, the John Wick scenes were just so stunning. So is that the kind of stuff that you like, though? Do you like action things? Because I always kind of think of you more with a darker side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I don't know why, why, that, why you'd say that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I have – I am a big fan of, uh, of redemption stories, and I'm a sucker for, for heroes – I need someone to to root for. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that so many of my friends like that, and they're surprised I don't. Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a good example. No one knows why I don't like that show, and it's because I can't root for these characters. Uh, the, oh, because they're awful. Everybody is awful on that show. It's, I think it's a reason why I don't care for The Walking Dead, the TV show, either, is because... Like, especially the first season, I was rooting for the zombies for most of the, the first season because everybody was awful to each <laughs> other. And, you know, they turned, um, you know, they, they turned all of these characters into just terrible, unlikable. Uh, you know, you, you kind of, you, like I said, you root for the zombies. Wow. Yeah. With the the latest project that you have, it like do you handle your projects one at a time, or do you have a lot of overlapping things going on? I well, I always have a lot of overlapping things going on. You know, in 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 the back burner, you know, I have a, a lot of pitches that are, you know, partially illustrated or partially written, or there's a script, but I don't have uh, anyone to draw it yet, or um, there's finished artwork, but I am not happy enough with the pitch to show it to anyone yet. Um, so there's, there's always things going on in various stages of development. Uh, it's, 
you know, comics are such a, a, a fat, there's such a fast turnaround in comics, but that doesn't mean that it's instantaneous. So while I'm putting the finishing touches on fake empire, I'm working on two or three other things because I need something, you know, to be ready to go once that's out in the world. So. Yeah, no, I've been working on one script for three years. So, yeah. So, uh, so, it happens. so, so, uh, shifting gears uh how's your uh how's your your nanoing going my nanoing is going great actually um it's been very difficult because i've had a very insanely stressful like past five weeks but november 1st started national novel writing month and um so like i was blaring right out of the gate there's certain days of the week i get up really stinking early and actually i do better on those days that I get up at like ass o'clock in the morning. Um, and, but I, I've had some really, really stressful days. So I've been keeping like a, a, a little bit of a diary about it. Like I did last year. And there are some days where I can hit my word count in two hours. Um, it's never been less than two hours and other days it takes me eight hours. And that's a luxury that I have because I sit on my butt all day at home. Um, that's not something that everybody gets to do. So a lot of people I imagine are out there and they might only be getting 300, 400 words because that's all the time they have. Um, whereas I literally take the month of November to do nothing else but write. And so I've only had one day this so far that I did not hit my, my word count, but I've had days where like today where I went over my count. So I'm actually in a really good place. Like right now I could take one day off and still be on target. But, um, but I'm doing a follow-up to the book that I did, that I wrote for last year. So I had uh, some core characters already worked out and I sort of like lived with them for 10 months and got to know them, you know, in that sort of writerly way that we do. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was definitely going a lot smoother this year than last year. So I thought that because I've got a few friends um, amongst the different types of writing networks that I connect with that are trying it this year too. Like I know a game designer who's in, a poet who's in, another crime writer who's in. Um, so I, you know, I thought maybe that you'd get on board too, but you said that you didn't, like it didn't work out for you. Yeah, I just, I, I couldn't with, uh, I'm kind of just putting, like I said, the finishing touches of shepherding this, this graphic novel into existence uh, throughout this month and just could not, with, between the day job and the comic stuff, find the time for the novel. But I did do it a few years ago, many years ago, I think six or seven now. I did it. That's cool. And the, uh, the novel I wrote actually ended up sitting on an, in a shelf for a few years and then it became, it basically, uh, I I triaged it and and cannibalized it and it became orphans more or less. So that's cool. So it's it's never it's it's you don't want to think of your slush pile or your you know shit that goes in a drawer. You don't want to think of that as like waste because you've obviously gotten something out of it. And you know that could be Maybe you just liked a, a particular part of the plot, or maybe you just decided, hey, I really like this setting. 
my story sucks, but I'm going to put my next thing in that setting, you know, or maybe there's a character that you just want to, you know, rework and play with a little bit. So it's just something that I think all creative people kind of go through. Yeah. At least storytelling people. I think that you're right. I think a lot of writers, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that a lot of writers do it. You know, I think it's easy to come up with a scene and sometimes you don't have a place for that scene. So you might shoehorn it into something where it doesn't, some place where it doesn't belong. And then a year later, you'll remember that scene or that character or an interaction between two characters and realize that, hey, this is the place for it. So yeah, it's uh, like I said, I, I used the phrase earlier, a friend of mine likes to call it triage. You know, it's I think that's really great. Because I've heard that can- when you said cannibalizing, I mean, I've heard of that before. That's what you're doing. Like you're plucking it apart like a, a chicken carcass. You know, and saying, I'm going to keep this and I'm going to keep this and I'm going to smash it together and make a McNugget. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, writing's a little more appetizing than that, though. Yeah, definitely. Especially the stuff I read. I like to read stuff where they include like the food, like they'll they'll describe food that's so amazing um like the i mentioned that author rose presley and she has her set in a cafe where there's always talk of like burgers and pies and cake i'm like oh god i'm drooling just reading this book that's kind of stuff i like i'm like i'm a food junkie so it's all right and yet it's surprisingly hard for me to go out because i'm vegetarian well i am i'm now Nine years of vegetarian and three years of vegan. So I, I hear you. Yeah. Well, I hope that your city is, is much more um, accommodating. It's it's not bad. I mean, I'm in Ohio, which is, you know, in Ohio, they put ranch dressing on everything. So it, it does it does get hard once in a while. But there are a couple of restaurants that are vegan, vegetarian or... You know, I can get a a veggie burger just about anywhere in a pinch. So there's options. It's just not always gourmet options. Yeah, I'm trying to plan something right now just to get out of town. And it's absurd looking at the restaurants of some towns. Because I'm like, oh, look, this nice brew pub. Oh, I bet they have a great menu. And the stuff sounds amazing. Like, it sounds like they, they know how to pair their beers or their wines, like, with their cuisine. And it sounds incredible. I'm like, I can't eat any of this. I will I will go away for an entire week. Like, if I go away for con weekends, I'm eating bagels, vegan cookies that I've packed, and french fries. Because when I go out, I, that is, I hate salad. I'm a vegetarian who hates salad. <laughs> So I I like cooked vegetables. And so I literally live on french fries and garbage, like when I'm out. Have you been to any of the, like you, you do New York Comic Con every year. Have you gone to any of the, the fancy vegetarian restaurants in New York during con um, weekends before? I went to, well, I usually go to the Thai place. There's a couple Thai places. Thai Select um, is usually, I think, the one that, that's closest. I usually end up there. Um, there's usually a couple bars where I can get like hummus, which that was the nice thing about Baltimore is I would go to the Tiernanog, which is just a franchise Irish pub. And at least the one in Baltimore used to have hummus. So I went to the one in New York this year and they had spring rolls, which, um, were really spicy, like, like way beyond my spice tolerance. 
So I was like, okay, well, at least they had one thing on the menu, but it was one thing I, I didn't have a great time eating. Um, and the, then there was one time in New York, I went to some smoothie juicing kind of place. So obviously everything in it was, was vegan, but I don't even, it was like, what the hell was it called? Like banana Joe's or something or papayas or something. I don't know. But, um, I'm like, it's, you know, it's October. I it wasn't in a smoothie kind of mood. <laughs> Plus there's not a lot that's like convenient to the Javits center. That's true. That's true. There's a. There's a little so there's a, a a fancy vegan restaurant in New York called Blossom that's like a fancy sit down restaurant oh, nice. with cloth napkins and everything, but and you know someone will 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 come and correct me I'm sure if I if I'm wrong but there's also they have just a little uh, place like a little walk in cafe called Blossom du Jour where you can get like like wraps pre made wraps and salads and things like both hot and cold. So you don't have to just eat your, you know, you don't, you, it's not just salads, Amber. So, nice. Um, yeah. I don't mind lettuce and, and tomato and stuff on my sandwiches, but yeah, I mean, for some reason when it's just stuck in a bowl, I'm, I just don't find that appealing. Although I have to say after a con weekend, like New York comic con, I crave the hell out of vegetables. I get home and I'm like, mom, make up the kale. Like she knows to have it ready for me the day I come home. There's going to be kale in the skillet. Yeah, that's just uh, that's just your body rebelling against all the French fries you'd eat in the. the... It is. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's like okay, time for a cleanse. Yeah. Let's see. For me at con weekends, it's not so much that. It's the. Uh, it's definitely the the volume of alcohol I consume during a given weekend. Yeah, I ignore um, vegan rules when it comes to booze most of the time. Um, I'm happy to say congratulations to Guinness. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I haven't had one in seven years, so. I, I, but I pretty much ignore that, but that, you know, I mean, I drink cocktails like that have, um, like vodka and juice. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know, like, I don't know why they need to refine anything. I had remembered when I first was talking to somebody about, um, he had a small winery and he was telling me about, um, I asked him what the finding process was. I was like, I, I'm really confused. Why have I seen certain wines? Because I don't drink wine. So I don't really know anything about it. I'm like, why are some wines labeled vegetarians? Like, it's freaking wine. And he's like, oh, it's called the finding process, where they actually filter stuff through animal parts. I'm like, that's vile. I'm like, this is not on the label. <laughs> like, people don't know these things unless you tell them. Like, the FDA allows us to call things like natural flavors. Like, tell me what your natural flavors are. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the whole thing with Guinness, right? Is that they used a, a weird derivative from a fish bladder because yeah. it connect it attaches to the the stray yeast and then falls to the bottom, so they can filter it out. And that's that's disgusting. Like, yeah. who who figured out that that worked? <laughs> Some enterprising guy in in uh, in Ireland figured out that if you add Isinglass from a fish's bladder to beer, you can get the yeast out. I don't know. I, I just assume that everything in food happened by accident. As I say, drinking my vodka, you know, and I'm and I'm hoping I'm, I'm going to pretend that it's um, animal friendly because it's um, simply orange, orange juice with gray goose citron. So um, and I don't get paid to say that. 
but it's delicious. That is a fancy screwdriver that you're enjoying. It is. That was my nano reward for for last week. I'm into giving myself rewards because it's the only way I get shit done. So I like I will place something like chocolate right on my desk that I cannot touch until I'm like, you know, meeting my goal or something like that. Cause that's, I, I require that. See, I am impressed with that because I would use it. I, I would bargain with, with the chocolate. <laughs> You'd be I, like, okay, if I've eaten half now, then I'll start. <laughs> exactly. Or you know what? I didn't reach my goal, but I'm 80% of the way there. So I'm going to eat 80% of the chocolate bar. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Last year I bought myself flowers. Um, after I met a goal, I was like, screw this. I met a goal. I'm going to buy myself flowers. It was like, you know, a $9 bouquet at the supermarket. I didn't care, but you know, it's other people. And I made a list. I made a list. So if you guys search for my NaNoWriMo, uh, tag in my cloud there on amberunmask.com, I have a list of reward ideas yourself i happen to love dark chocolate so for me dark chocolate works um other people don't um vodka also works <laughs> um if you have better means than i have then you know hey get yourself a new desk chair like my desk chair i sit in this thing every day and it's a it, and it literally is like a painful torture device from the middle ages but you know that's that's what i got um, and I am, I'm very lucky that my cat likes to sit with me most of the time. So she'll usually spend, um, if not all of the hours, she'll at least spend a couple hours hanging out with me and she just curls up in a ball and just, you know, I credit her with everything. I'm, I'm jealous. I have, I have two, well, I have three cats. Uh, the, the, uh, our, our, our female cat stays in the, in the bedroom because she doesn't get along with the male cats, but the male cats, I have to bribe them with, with chicken or treats to keep them off of my lap or off of the keyboard when I'm writing. Yeah. Keiko had, um, her bowl of chicken was down on the floor next to the desk today. She got, she got some rotisserie chicken. Um, cause she eats better than most humans. Um, but yeah, no, ours are separated. The demon cat is downstairs. The uh, He's a boy, and he's young, and just evil. He's so cute. I mean, you know he's like Lucifer. Like, Lucifer, you know it was probably a really cute kid. Um, so I have no doubt that, you know, that this cat is pure evil. Is is he uh, is he evil to the humans or just to, to Keiko? Uh, everything. Yeah, doesn't matter. Stuff. Just stuff. He'll just walk, like, he'll just jump on something and knock it over. He's just that kind of, like, I don't know, brazen, I'm a cat, fuck you, this is in my way, I'm gonna knock it over. So, a, What's that, a candle? Thwap. A, What's that, a water bottle? Thwap. A friend of mine went to a, uh, a, 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 cat, a cat shelter where they had 400 cats, and she, she lives out in Seattle. Um, but but loves animals like like we do, and uh, they don't call the cats that are poorly behaved poorly behaved. They call them overconfident. So brazen is also a good phrase for that. So that's that's yeah. our male cats are are not bad cats. They're overconfident, and they need to get yeah. off the fucking counter. Yeah, 
he can be really fun. Like I have um, a buggy. My cat is a very old female cat. She's so old and just tolerant. But she doesn't like, obviously, when another cat comes in her face. That's a no-no. So, um, so for the whole time I've had her, I have a cat stroller, which is for, I mean, it's for any pet, but it basically looks like a baby stroller with a screen around it so that you can zip them in. And uh, like people have bunnies or little tiny dogs or whatever. So it's perfect for her because she's a small, a small cat. She's like five pounds. So I've always taken her in this buggy and we go to the comic book store and we go to Petco <laughs> and I used to live in, in different neighborhoods where there were sidewalks. I could actually take her for a walk so that she was social and she was cool and she got some fresh air that way. And that way she could be outside, but not be, uh, you know, in harm's way outside. So, um, cause we've lived out in the country and we've had outdoor cats before and lost a couple to the ground, to the, you know, cars going by. Mm-hmm. So Keiko um, is a, you know, spoiled indoor cat. And now the demon cat downstairs loves her buggy. He took complete full possession of her little buggy. And he's too, like, skittish and crazy and wild to go outside with it. But he gets pushed around the house because it's big enough. He gets pushed around the house in the buggy and gets to be walked that way and he loves it and he sleeps in it like he'll jump in that and that's where he'll sleep but he's just this large just very large ginger well there's the problem right there oh i know right (laughs) this is evil gingers exactly soulless gingers no it's no redhead is ever gonna buy one of my comics ever But adorable, like adorable to look at, as redheads usually are. So, but you know, that's the thing. So it's just the two of them at the moment, and they hate each other. So I've had more. I've had more that actually got along better. I don't know what, what at what point it qualifies as crazy cat lady. So oh, you you have a ways to go. Two yeah. two cats is still you're still well within your uh, within yeah. your limit. Well, the most we had was five, but that was a lot. There were four inside and one outside at a t- at a particular time. Well, I mean, pushing them around in a buggy is a is a concern. I mean, that's yeah. that's a, that is a definitely a warning sign. It is right. You know, I mean, I we don't have matching outfits or anything, sort of exactly, but I did make her some superhero capes. So you know, and I cosplay. So well, yeah, that's um, that's that's a completely different. I mean, that's. You know, I, I, it's not like I would leave it different. on her, right? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't really like leave it on her. Like I would put it on, take the picture, get it off. You know, I'm not gonna. I didn't put her on that and then like you know hang out dressed up in the same outfit together or matching. You know, whatever. Like she was never Lockheed to my kitty or something. <laughs> I did dress her up as Rocket Raccoon though, which was pretty awesome. That's pretty great. Did you go as Star Lord? No, that'd be awesome though. I, I, I would love to do the, like, Gamora, but, you know. Um, but I didn't design it very well for her. That one I was just trying to, to do from scratch and just try to completely, like, make up the pattern, and I didn't do a great job on it. But it fits this puppet that I have. So I have a raccoon puppet I, I stuck the outfit on, and it's it's good like that. 
But it was enough for five minutes to take a picture of the cat. <laughs> and then she couldn't wait to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, we, we got uh uh some of the with the the cat leashes and attempted to take our our boy cats outside and that lasted about thirty seconds because they didn't know what to do, so they just flopped onto the grass. <laughs> yeah. Like that was of that course. was their go to move was I don't know what else I can do, so I'm just going to lie here. Right. Yeah, that's we put we put harnesses on both of them when we transport them anywhere, and it's funny because the the demon cat, um, his name's Oliver, by the way. Um, he he does the same thing. Like he like there's something on him, and he thinks it's like attacking him, like an alien, and you know, so he gets really weird in his harness. But um, Keiko, the worst part about Keiko is she's got poofy, fine, cottony kind of hair, so. Putting the harness on her, I'm more worried that I'm pinching her because I'm—I mean, her hair is so ridiculous. And when she gets shaved, she just looks even more ridiculous. No, because <laughs> she does. I mean, she just—it's it, like you don't realize how how little she is with when she's hiding under so much hair. So they're both. She's such a. They're. She's a Jersey cat. She's got giant hair. <laughs> they're both long hairs. No, no, just her. Ah. He is a short-haired ginger, and his hair gets m- more of a mess than hers. Like his, like shedding-wise, people always say that they're like, "Oh, long-haired cat. Oh, you must have hair all over." I'm like, not really. Like the short-haired cats just seem to shed more. It's everywhere. Like his his hair will get on things. Hers hers will be just well. She doesn't really go anywhere. She just. I don't know. She has very distinct places. And that's it. So she has her own like poofy little spot on the desk. I put a pillow up here for her that I, I made and a blanket. So she has that spot. She has the bed. And if I sit on the couch, she'll sit over there. And then she has a, a chair in the kitchen that is specifically her chair. So her hair is like all over the house like people think. But I think that's more attitude. I think it's because she she has particular places. Yeah, that sounds right. They are so territorial. Mm-hmm. I had this like big, oversized, like soft-sided cooler sitting on the counter, and I would find one of my cats. He he just loved that space. So that's where we could count on finding him was just standing inside the cooler. And it was exactly the same size as he was. So it was perfect for him. And he was so mad when I finally put the thing away. Oh no, you can't do that. Have you thought about writing stories about your cats? Um, I have given it some thought. Um, I think that there are some, some scripts that, never ended up going anywhere out there that have cats as a as a main character and i wrote a scene with a cat just this morning on a a little thing i'm working on that may or may not ever see the light of day but yeah cats are very much um there was a scene that didn't make the final cut for angel dragnet that was all about cats as well Um, so yeah they they appear throughout my stuff a little bit. I think they should. Yeah. I, the, the Nano book that I'm writing, 
um, does have a cat and a dog in it, and I'm not a dog person, so it's really funny that my main character really resents the dog <laughs> that lives in her house. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, this would be so true. Um, but her ginger cat she loves. I, I, I grew up with a ginger cat when I was little, so um, so I do have a fondness for them. It's just that this particular one, he's just, I don't know. He's, he's uh, I guess because I had been adopting old cats for so long that a young cat came into the house and I just didn't know what to do. I'm like, this is, I'm not used to seeing this. I'm not used to seeing this bizarre, like, like the running is funny. Like they just, just suddenly like have to burst and like do laps. They get the zoomies. The zoomies and they and it's hilarious usually like right after they come out of the litter box and they do these laps because they're so happy they pooped um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the jumping up and like trying to knock over my flat screen like no no i've i've changed from mostly um like burning candles i try to keep an eye on i i do have like real candles in certain places but i i have a lot of um battery fake candles because i'm like i you know you just never know that idiot's gonna jump somewhere he hasn't knocked over any vodka yet thank god yeah that is the uh we've had a, a couple of consecutive mornings now where the trash can has been dumped over uh which I guess is on me. I should have just taken the trash out last night or, the, you know, the night before. But, oh, like the kitchen stuff? Yeah. Were they going after bones and stuff? Yeah. Which is so, I mean, I guess we had some some vegan replacement sausage a couple of nights ago. And apparently it smells enough like the real thing that they went after the uh, the wrapper. Yeah. Just, I guess it just hasn't happened before because nobody wants to eat, you know, kale clippings or whatever we normally throw away yeah keiko loves the um the the tofuti cream cheese oh right they go nuts i open up one of those uh those little plastic tubs and they go crazy yeah she loves that stuff but it's interesting because um one of my favorite comics right now is hero cats and that's from action lab entertainment and so it's great. I interviewed Marcus Williams, the the artist from there, and I finally got to meet the writer at New York Comic Con. So, um, so it was like this great opportunity where I got to meet the, you know, some of the the people behind one of my favorite books, and it happens to be about cats. And they ended up recruiting like people from other Action Lab books to sketch cats because that side of their table was so popular that people kept coming up wanting commission sketches of cats. And, you know, it's one of those things where the book has so many different kinds of cats that, I mean, I'm like, Oh, I want a picture of bell because bell looks just like my cat Keiko, you know? So they were getting a lot of those requests and it, and Marcus was like inundated. So Kyle, who's the writer and he, you know, he actually can draw really well. And he's like, oh, I'm a terrible artist. And it's like, oh, shut up. You are not. Um, so he was sketching a little bit. And then all of a sudden, they had like three people from other books oh. <laughs> come over on that side of the table, all drawing cats. <laughs> like, man, you know, sorry, but we creative types. We like cats. So I hadn't previously been familiar with that book. And I was just going through, racking my brain, trying to figure out like, okay, I had just heard about this book. Where where had I heard about it? And I realized now that I 
was last week I listened to the episode of Vodka Clock that replayed their um, uh, the the Action Lab panel. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were they were a great panel. They have a gigantic catalog of books, like unbelievable amount of yeah, books. Yeah, it seems like it's just growing exponentially. Like I had it no is, well, idea. Yeah, I think in that panel, I don't know if it was um if I caught it because I had to I was trying to change my batteries really fast, so I missed like the first 3 minutes. Um but they said that they grew like I don't know, something like 800%. Like it was it was an absurd amount. In five years, how much they've grown. It was something that n- that nobody else would ever imagine that they that they grew that much. I mean, because they started off with like two books. And so, and um, but Hero Cats is amazing. Without trying to sound crass, and I hope that I don't come across what like really impresses me about their catalog is that it doesn't seem like they are just trying to be an IP farm for, you know, things that they can sell to. To, to movie, movie companies, to, yeah, to, yeah, to Hollywood. Yeah, no. In fact, it's the opposite. They've gotten some kind of partnership deal with some horror movie company I never heard of. So, like, they do Puppet Master. That was the only one I had ever heard of. So they, um, they actually are doing like twelve comic books for whatever this horror movie company is. Right. So it's sort of the other way around. That's right. I did remember because they talked about that at the very tail end of the uh, of the panel. Yeah, um, but I like they're they're more like um, all ages kids kind of stuff. I I love that stuff like Planet Gigantic and and Hero Cats and um, like Molly Danger. So those books are all really fun. And Nutmeg, Nutmeg is one of their newer ones. And Awake is brand new. So that's Awake is cool because it's got like a sci-fi thing to it. So if you like um, like Planet Gigantic, like Planet Gigantic is obviously like off in space. It's two brothers, a brother and sister, that are um, actually like androids sent to um, collect data on different planets. It's a lot of fun. So I don't know. Would you ever dive into the all ages categories of writing things? I I would love to. I just need to. So so one of my big things about. Uh, you know, about my own body of work is that, uh, you know, it's trying to find that voice, trying to figure out like, like what, what my niche in the, in the medium and the industry is, you know, Orphans is very much uh, a science fiction book with sort of a, a, a superhero, like not, it's not a superhero book, but it's got that superhero pedigree, kind of like most of the Marvel books of the last 10 years have been that don't right. have, don't have Spider-Man in them. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's very much, you know, Captain America, the winter soldier type of a story. Um, but everything that I've, I've done since has kind of edged towards, you know, that horror urban fantasy bent. And, and I don't know if that's, a, if that's a, you know, a, a milieu I want to stay in or if, if I'm hurting my, my, my chances at developing a, a steady readership if I if I you know spread my wings and and try other things. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, with Jimmy Robinson, who did uh, he did Bomb Queen forever. Oh right, yeah. But has done in the last few years has done these really great books 
uh, he did one that is that is definitely geared towards uh, you know a younger audience called Five Weapons, which is a book that I absolutely adore. Um, but as a guy who's pri- primarily known for Bomb Queen, right, which is salacious, right, and I mean you know there's there's definitely with intent, you know he wasn't just oh, trying absolutely. to do a, t- yeah, a TNA, very... TNA book. Yeah, but, he was very self-aware. Um, you know, it's very hard to expand your audience so completely in a different direction after you've become primarily known as the guy who does Bomb Queen. Um, and then he did a, another uh, an image miniseries called The Empty that just finished up, I think, uh, two weeks ago. Two or three weeks ago, the final issue came out, which is a a, a science fiction story that's very much... It reminds me of like the Neverending Story or the Wizard of Oz. Um, cool stuff, yeah. And and it's just this this beautiful book, and it's it's you know definitely a, intended for a broader audience. So I always, but you know, he had trouble finding it. So I always worry about that. Like if I do too many books in one, you know, genre, am I am I going to be screwed? Uh, when it comes time to try something else, um, I say yeah, but that's a risk you should take. And here's why: because um, one of the one of my favorite writers to follow, and I don't always like his work, and I don't always agree with what he says, but I really admire the fuck out of him is Chuck Wendig, and I love certain projects that Chuck has done. And he was sort of like an urban fantasy guy who was known for like this, these tough lady characters that were really vulgar. And um, then he got um, a three book Star Wars deal, you know, so you have to be able to write for the Star Wars people. And, and that's a whole different mindset. And he has written like, books appropriate for teens and he's written um you know mature audience books so if he can make those kind of changes i think it's inspiring that way to other writers and creators that um if those are the things that you feel and those are the stories that you have to tell that you shouldn't be afraid to tell them and wasn't like uh, oh i have to imdb this now um uh, because I'm gonna, I don't want to get the wrong guy. I am DB. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, Peter Jackson, who we all know from Lord of the Rings. Did a whole bunch of other weird shit. Oh yeah, he did. That. I forgot about that. Uh, like heavenly creatures and yeah. What's the one that he did? Uh, the Frighteners. The Frighteners. So um, the Lovely Bones, which is like horror. Um. So it's just, I figure. I mean, if directors can do that and make that jump and do it successfully, then. Um, you know, there's no reason that other people can't. All right, then. So my next thing is going to be a kid's book. And, uh, it's yeah, all, that's it's what all, I say. It's all your fault. Yeah, that's, that's what I say. And you can blame me for that. 
But I think, you know, I think certain risks are worth it. That's fair. That's that's absolutely a fair assessment. So you've gotten some comic book material. You've you've done uh uh you you've been published yeah, uh, a little bit. You you did uh some stories in the bully anthology for Yeah, um for Northwest Press. So, um which was amazing. It that project took so long to come out, but I have to say like the the team that put that together because it was like a whole team working hard on that. Um they got some of the most amazing people, like Mark Guggenheim, who like is the showrunner of Arrow. You know, it's like, yeah, he writes comics all the time. But it's one of those things where I'm like, I was trying to brag to my brother, who I knew was an Arrow fan, because I'm pretty sure the cat Oliver was named after him. Um, so I was trying to brag to my family, like, look, I'm in this book. My name is next. It's like down 10 from this guy. <laughs> And they, like, are oblivious. Like, that didn't, meant nothing to my family. Like, nothing. I'm like, oh, all right. And then I have um, a non-comic related. I was in the a Protectors Anthology, which is um, a wonderful charity project. But it's a, a big, huge anthology of short stories. And my name is, like, 10 down from Harlan Ellison. I'm like, Mom, look. That's... Like, there's my name. It's in a book. <laughs> That was, uh, so when I was in college, I thought I was going to be a short story writer. And, uh, so naturally, uh, Harlan Ellison is one of my big heroes. And I had read this story about how he loved just the chocolate Necco wafers. So I was going to meet him at a, uh, a, a library signing in, in, Cleveland, Ohio, and I bought him a package of these, you know, the, the all chocolate Necco wafers, which were apparently really hard to find. The packages that only have the chocolate ones, because you know the rest of the flavors all t- taste like uh, chalk. Yeah. See, I used to work in a five and ten where we sold those. <laughs> so, so, so I, I walk up to him and I'm really excited, and I, I say, I hand him my copy of Deathbird Stories, and he, you know, he signs it, and I hand him the Necco wafers, and he's, you know, in his in his gruff Harlan voice, "What the fuck do I want those for? I got a whole fucking oh. room full of Necco wafers." Oh no, that sounds like him. <sighs> so. So he he ended up begrudgingly taking them and shaking my hand and, you know, I thanked him and then that was it. And then, but, you know, it's one of those things, it's one of those lessons I learned is that, you know, you don't necessarily need to impress your heroes with with candy. So you can send your favorite podcasters bottles of vodka instead. Yep, that's true. That is money well spent. (laughs) Well, it's and it's funny, though, because I've been at book signings where fans bring bottles of scotch to the writers. I'm like, you guys are great. They obviously follow them, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and stuff and know them well enough to know what brands they like exactly and everything. It's really cool. Um, one of the other one of the other stories, and I think it's 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 similar 
and I'm not going to name names, but I have a very good friend who used to work, who used to live in New York, and she worked in the Union Square Barnes and Noble, and they had a uh, uh, one of the Star Trek actors had uh, was doing a signing at uh, had written an autobiography, uh, and you can't see it, but written is in finger quotes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I want to know how to be a ghostwriter, by the way. That, probably really great money. Um, yeah, I've heard it is. But, uh, you know, as he's getting ready to do his signing, she asked him, is there anything else that you need before, you know, we open the floodgates and people come in? And he said, yeah, can you get me some hand sanitizer and a box for all the shit they're going to give me? Uh-huh. So that's that's my that's my. uh you know, so I don't I don't give people stuff at the only thing that I will give to people I meet, you know, and I've met I've gotten to meet so many of my heroes thanks to the nature of, of comics and the uh, the convention circuit. Convention. But the yeah, only thing I'll give anybody anymore is, is my books, you know, and I always ask, is it OK if I give you one of my books? And that's cool. A lot of people do that. I mean, that's what Comic-Cons are about, though. People are used to that, I think. I think they should be used to that. If they're too diva-ish, then that sucks. But um, but I think that's a cool thing. I mean, in fact, it was it was awesome. I was in at Boston Con one year, and I was at Jenny Wood's table. And um, and I honestly, I feel terrible. I don't know his name, but Gail Simone's husband. Gail Simone's husband came up to to Jenny and wanted to meet her and said, "Hey, Gail sent me over and she wanted to, you know, if she could have a copy of your book." And she was just like floored. She's like, "Yeah, of course," and and signed it. And he, you know, and he he paid for it. And he, it's not like he expected anything. And um, and she sat there and actually like read it at the con and was tweeting about it before the show was over. It's like how I mean, it was just remarkable. It's like that is the kind of like mentorship that I I wish just permeated through comics. I mean there's a lot of it if you if you find the right people and if you I guess have exactly the right kind of book. Um but I think it's amazing when that happens. But I don't know. Yeah, if somebody if somebody knows enough to figure out what kind of vodka I like and brings it to something that I'm okay with that. Well yeah, it's hard to turn down vodka. I think that... you know I've done the opposite. I've actually like treated people who come to my signings. I buy cupcakes and I'll like sit there and give people cupcakes. Oh, that's like, um, uh, who is it? I uh, bribe people. That's what I'm basically doing is bribing them. Please buy my book. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's awesome. Uh, uh, somebody told me not to do candy at my tables. I, I haven't, yeah. I haven't actually tried it yet because people just stop by long enough to steal your candy. And so you're out the cost of the candy. But, yeah, that's what I've heard too. Yeah. Uh, uh, but a signing is different. A signing is supposed to be focused on you. That's true. So I've I've only done two, other than like um, joint things with you know with a bunch of other people, like the comic shop when we do like superhero weekend and free comic book day. That's you know there'll be like six of us there at once. But I've only done two things where it was like my shtick. Um. Well, no. In fact, I've only done one where it was just me, and the second one it was like me and Eric Grissom and Phil Sloan, which was cool because I love them so much. Yeah, I've uh, I've done. I haven't done any that it was just me. I've done a couple where it was me and one or two other creators, but never anything that's solo me. But that mm-hmm. that's to be expected. 
I, I mean, I don't have, uh, because my books are primarily distributed either through Kickstarter or Comixology, I don't expect stores to stock right. my books yet. Right. And that's normal. I mean, yeah, I, like, I bring my own stock and stuff. It's more like, hey, can I be in your store? And they're happy to have you there. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Like, it depends on how successful your book is or whatever. But, um, you know, like some stores will be the ones to actually buy the cake for you or whatever. Um, I'm not there yet. I shelled out for my cupcakes. <laughs> um but I haven't really done a signing for the, the bullying for the comics against bullying project, but um, because I didn't have any booth at FlameCon where there was a big Northwest booth or at New York comic con where there was a Northwest booth. I just basically kept tweeting if anybody needed me or wanted me somewhere to just, you know, try to tweet me back or Facebook me or whatever. Um, the, the Lex core Wi-Fi that they set up at New York did not work at all for me. Nope. Um, so, but I, w I would still get tweets. So if, you know, that was kind of what I was hoping was that if anybody had something that they wanted me to sign, they could find me. And that's how, like, I kept in touch with you. That yeah, that's way. how we found each other. I was just going to say that. So, um, so it's just, you know, I was probably running through Verizon, you know, data, but whatever. I mean, it's just, I, I guess, I don't know why they thought that that, um, superfluous LexCore thing would work. It just, it didn't work at all. I tried logging in like a dozen times and just would, as soon as I'd log in, it would disconnect. I don't know if they just like, like whoever was in charge of that, if that was, you know, like whoever actually paid for that, that Wi-Fi really had an understanding of how many people would be I don't at that show so. at a given time. I mean, you can say the number, like people yeah. can tell you, oh, there's going to be you know, 170,000 people. I mean, come on. But until you're actually there and you realize that they mean all at once, it's uh, it's kind of a, a hard number to, to 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 understand. Yeah, I mean, it's actually should be part of your beta testing process is to try and crash your own servers. I mean, that's what it, we used to do in programming. Was like, you know, what what can this hold and stuff? We used to even like if you get into games testing, like beta testing. They'll do things like that to see, you know, how many people can they handle simultaneously. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't work at all. And it was funny because I had complained about it. And I don't think it was through Twitter. I think that through Twitter they found my email address or maybe through Twitter they found out who I was because of my New York Comic Con registration. But I got an email asking me, could they help me with something? And I'm and I wrote back. I'm like, no, your service just doesn't work. Fix it. Like, what do you want me to tell you? Like, what can you possibly help me with? Make it work. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not you. It's not you. It's it's your it's their their server. Yeah. So that's when I do a big show like that where I I don't really have a home base. I just usually take to Twitter and say, if you need to find me, um, we'll meet up. Did you do any sort of like like a a one hour? Um, not this time. Yeah, no, not this time. I've, um, I, you know, once in a while, like, um, depending on the show and the booth space available, I've been able to do things like hang out with um, Enrica from Red Style Media um, or Erica Schultz or, you know, like, it depends on the show. 
but it seems like booth space is getting smaller and smaller. So where I used to be able to go to Artist Alley and my friends would be able to fit me there, like squeeze me in or something, now they really can't anymore. So it's just, um, I think, part of how the shows have grown and keep growing and growing. Yeah, well, I did... uh... I did special edition and it was a bust. And so I didn't do New York comic con and everybody was telling me about how from a sales perspective, it was the artist alley was like a fish in a barrel. It was, you know, everybody was, everybody made money. Well, that's, that's funny. Well, it's great to hear. Absolutely wonderful to hear because I did like a 10 second signing. I call it. I was up with um, Carolyn Belefsky at her booth in small press. So it's a totally different area of an artist alley. It's like literally the opposite end of the convention. It's the opposite end of the Jacob Javits Center, which is freaking huge. So I went over to Carolyn's booth and was hanging out there for a while, just talking to her. And I was buying one of her t-shirts because she makes these really great t-shirts that are, uh, it's a big heart and it says comics in it. So, um, I was going to go up there anyway. And she's like, Hey, while you're here, will you sign some of our books? So she drew the story in the rise comics against bullying that I wrote. And, um, so I was like, are you kidding? Yeah, of course I'll, I'll sign, I'll sign whatever you want. I'll sign you. Like, <laughs> like I will, like, I'm happy to sign anything. So, um, so I did, so I did like in, you know, a, a one minute, basically like she just had like 10 copies of the book and I just sat there and like got to got to sign stuff we got to pose for pictures because um uh, Joe took pictures of uh both of us holding the book up and everything and I'm like I feel so famous right now (laughs) but that was that was the the bulk of my signing of New York Comic Con my only signing was was kind of just hanging out there and doing that I went on the show floor for maybe a total of an hour across all three days and I got to tell you, that made this, like, not being on that show floor for an extended period of time made this the best New York Comic Con mm-hmm. that I've Art- been to. I just hung out in Artist Alley all day. You know, Artist Alley is great. I've got yeah. friends there. I can, you know, pretty much anybody that I want to see is going to wander through there eventually, like the Comics Tribe guys. Um, right. So, you know, and then I, I ran into uh, Rika at she did a signing at the Comixology booth too. So I was able to talk to her there I didn't have to hunt her down in small press. Um, yeah. I love the artist Sally there. First of all, I mean, this is the, but the bathrooms are usually easier to get into there. There's usually no big long line. Um, but our artist Sally is getting more and more crowded as far as the aisles, but their aisles are wider than the, in the main floor. So even though it's, it seems just as crowded. Um, there's actually more space to walk around. There's like, uh, unless people, and I mean, like it would have to be a group of like five or six people stop in front of you, which does happen. Usually there's plenty of room for, you know, the one side to go one direction and another side to go the other direction. Um, Cause they fit a lot of people down there in that pavilion. I just wish that they would let us actually use that door. They were directing people to exit that way only because the weather was nice. Um, but I think that that, I mean, 
there have been times when we weren't allowed to exit that way. I just wish you could get in that way. Oh, I know, because I would just not go on you the You would just go in there. Right. Yeah, you would never go into the – because that bottleneck area is terrible. I mean, it's if you have any kind of crowd – phobia anxiety problems you can't possibly attend that show because i heard i mean people i was like why would i go thursday you know like people are still gonna be setting up and stuff people were telling me thursday was so busy they were making and selling so much stuff on thursday i was amazed i couldn't believe how successful it was for people this year and that's and that's great to hear i mean that is you know i mean i hate to have to break you know i i obviously haven't gotten rich making comics yet but yeah. you know I, I sometimes hate to talk dollars and cents you know my mom will ask me these questions like so uh how much money right. did you make on 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 orphans or on red angel dragnet and i you know i have to kind of say well i'm uh, i haven't maxed out my credit card yet uh <laughs> yeah they don't understand that so, like you hope you break even right yeah like, you are elated if you break even so you know so i hate to talk about it in those terms but it's always great to hear that you know people in artist alley you know they uh read pop does not you know they don't give a huge discount on those artist alley tables those are not cheap tables no they're not and the pro- and the, the problem is is they keep adding days to the show like once upon a time, I think it was a two day show. <laughs> and now it's like sort of like four and a half days or something. Right. And then they have the things, you know, they, they have, have the whole week. Yeah, they have things in New York City starting Sunday. So if you want to see Neil yeah. deGrasse Tyson talk up the road, you have to be there Saturday night. You have to be there for a whole week. And um and it was sort of like slightly longer than a week. It was more like eight or nine days or something. And then I got um I mean, for other reasons, we were thinking of moving our charity event to a different day. I happen to like October, but it's just cramming it between um, Baltimore Con and New York Con was like my comic shop owner was um, losing her mind. So our charity event, we were thinking, you know, what if we move the date? And all of us who were volunteering are like, no, we really like October. But um, then New York Comic Con, they've announced their date for next year, and they actually took the date that was always like our date. We always had the first weekend of October. Oh, and they moved it up. And they took that date for um, 2016. So we're like, okay, well, now we really can't do it. That's unfortunate because I liked that Superhero Weekend. It felt like a nice symmetry because it was the start of October was Superhero Weekend. And so you had a cosplay event, and then you end with – Halloween, which is a cosplay event. So it's a nice, nice month of cosplay for you guys. I know, right? And we would always see when, when, it, when it was originally started and it was Wonder Woman Day, it used to be at the end of the month because it was, um, it was started by people in a different city who don't have winter. And so we were getting hammered by like ice and snow and hurricanes. And we decided to break away and like do our own thing earlier in October. So for the last several years, we've had it early in the month and we've had decent weather. When we had the hurricane, for whatever reason, that town didn't lose power the way like all of our other towns did. So it was, you know, it was weird. We were like, you know, we kept telling people, we're like, come to the comic shop, you know, you can come here and be warm and charge your phones, whatever you need to do. And, you know, and by the way, we're doing this charity thing. Um, so 
October was was great for a costuming event because people are usually working on their costumes. They're trying to get them done for New York. They're trying to get them done for Halloween. It's after Dragon Con. I mean, that's having these big, huge ticket cons close together is kind of tough. You have, you know, San Diego in July, then Dragon Con, Baltimore, which has become massively huge for cosplay, and then New York. So it's a lot. It's a lot to fit in there. But, um, you know, we do well. We raise a few thousand dollars every year. So whenever we have it, as long as we raise the money, that's the key thing. Yeah, I'm going to have to do – that's another reason why I need to do an all-ages book is so that uh, I can uh, include it in your uh, your auctions and your, your giveaways. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. It's. It, I always feel – the writers, when I talk to writers, they, they're like, it's so tough because we it's primarily about the sketches that get auctioned. I'm like, we do these big, like, raffle baskets, you know? We Like, I, I contacted a whole bunch of nerdy musicians this year. So we had, like, Unwoman and um, Paul and Storm, who are hilarious, um, Marion Call and the Double Clicks. Like, we had some really great musicians give us stuff this year for raffles. So it was, it was awesome. I just, I, I, Paul and Storm, I haven't heard about them in a long time. They are. Oh, and Kirby Crackle. I can't forget them. Gosh. Um, yeah, like, I mean, such a, uh, you know, it's just like this great bunch of nerds that we have, you know. Everybody does a different thing, whether it's music or comics or, you know, fantasy novels. It's like, it's so cool. So you got to, yeah, so you get your all, all ages stuff done. It doesn't have to be all ages. It just has to like not be, you know, pornographic. Right. No. And or ultra violent. I... Yeah. Yeah, we try to keep away from that. Well, we did. I mean, we did have some cheesecake stuff in the raffle, like Xenoscopes, and it was a ton of like hardcover, gorgeous things. Like Zenos, I couldn't believe the stuff that they sent us. We're like, okay, well, we're just gonna keep this on like the top shelf of the bookcase. <laughs> But we also had some like gorgeous piles from like um Walt Simonson has some new collections this year. So we had like a big Walt Simonson package. It's awesome. I thought you said you were keeping it all ages and now you're talking about Walt Simonson's big package. I know. How dare that me. That was too easy. That was kinda of low hanging fruit. I apologize. It was. It's all right. It's been a long conversation. It really it's been great though. It's kind of been and all over the place. We've kind of covered lots of different uh lots of different ground. And that's, this is what writers do. Right, and that's how my brain works, and I'm sure yours does too. I mean, it's okay. We can talk about booze and food and cats and writing. Right. And that's okay. Right. And all of the weird esoteric shit that goes with everything. You know, I mean, somebody out there is going to listen to this who's never realized that they use fish bladders to make Guinness. That's correct. Somebody will learn something from this show. We did our good deed. And, you know, so... Um, we want to make sure, though, that people know who you are and where to find you and how to follow you and stalk you and buy all your stuff. So do you have that information? I do. Well, I have a... I ma- like, short of your home address. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, share what you can. Well, I maintain a website at ericpalicki.com, um, and I am on Twitter more than I should be, at epalicki, um, and I'm on Instagram less than I should be, at epalicki. So uh, you can find me there. Uh, there are handy links to my Comixology page via the website. Uh, you can just you can just search for Palicki. I'm the only one who has books on Comixology right now. You can check out my whole library, 
uh, book starting at 99 cents. And that's where to find me on the internets. Uh, I have not squared away any sort of convention scheduling for next year, but I'm sure that I will be out and about at least to C2E2 and New York Comic Con, where you and I will go have uh, some good vegetarian food that's not just potatoes. We will. That'd be great. That'd be so great. Um, Do you have any Kickstarters planned? So I've done two. I've done three. Um, And, you know, the the Darby Pop book, Fake Empire, I hope everybody checks that out in the Magnetic Press section of November's previews, which will be the next one that comes out, I think, at the end of the month. Okay. Um, But I think that I'm going to give Kickstarter a rest for a while. I... I kind of dropped the ball on fulfillment for the latest one. It took me forever to get the books out, longer than it should have, um, just because the fulfillment is, you know, there are people who will talk about the difficulties with promoting a Kickstarter, and I could do that all day. I could do that all yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to uh, stuffing envelopes and writing addresses, uh, no thank you. So. That's what scares me the most. I'm just like you. Like I can promote and promote and talk about stuff and go on and do interviews and whatever. But, you know, when it comes to making sure that the project is on time and the art is on time and all that stuff, that scares the hell out of me more. You know, so I've never done it. Maybe my next one will be something like uh, what, what Ryan Lindsay did with uh, Dear Editor and just do all digital. That was That's what I would like to do. I would like to do all digital. Just because mailing all of those packages out sounds awful. I know Holly Golightly does it all the time. She Every time she has a new volume out, she does another Kickstarter. I'm like, wow. That's just, that's intense. Yeah, when, I did, She's a pro. when I did Orphans, the you know, it was my first Kickstarter experience. And between when I launched the Kickstarter, and I knew that I was probably going to be six or eight months out before I could do fulfillment. But between when I launched the Kickstarter and when I was able to finally, when I had books in hand to mail them, that's when the USPS raised their prices as significantly as they, they had in my lifetime. Oh boy. So like a package that would have cost me five or $6 to send overseas was suddenly uh, costing me $30. Oh my God. So that's another reason why I, if I do another Kickstarter, it's going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to have to enlist some people. I'm going to do like a backer kit or uh, Amazon fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a a uh, a story in one of the upcoming uh, uh, Comics Tribe anthologies that that they're putting together, and so maybe I'll just let other people run the Kickstarters altogether from now on. Just, just yeah, I've that's just it. It's like, you know, I've been involved with other ones like, you know, the Rise Comics Against Bullying. Um, I had nothing to do with the administration of that Kickstarter. And it was uh, it, I loved it that way. <laughs> like, I love being involved in this and not doing the work. Um, just have to retweet but, every once in a while when someone else is talking about it and you're golden. Yeah. And just do as many interviews as you can and be like, hey, I'm in this thing and it's amazing. Trust me. That's great. I think anthologies are the best anyway, because instead of one creative team out there on social media to promote it, you suddenly have, you know, a creative team for each individual story. And so it it exponentially increases your reach when it comes to talking about it and, you know, and their fan bases. So, you know, I could see myself 
organizing some sort of an anthology, but I don't think I want to do another solo Kickstarter. Okay. All right. Well, those Comics Tribe guys that you talk about, they're kind of pros at it. They they do a good blogs about Kickstarter all the time. Um, all right, Eric. Well, I'll let you go because this has been fun and I can just keep talking, but I don't know, um, you know, I don't know how much more listeners want to hear about our cats. <laughs> Um, but you can follow us on Twitter, and we'll talk about them all night long. Yes, I'll send you pictures. I will tweet you pictures in the morning. Okay, that's fantastic. I tweet pictures of my cat almost every day. She's now um, now that I because I joined Instagram too, and so um, I mainly joined Instagram for cat pictures. Like because it's, I just need that um, brain relief during the day. And, um, like my Twitter is a lot of like social news and anger and stuff. And so Instagram is like my cat feed. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm on there. Every, every network that I'm on them, I have a different name. So whatever. I did. I was trying to find you on Skype before you finally sent over your username and I did, I did all kinds of searches and there are a lot of Amber Loves that use yeah. uh, that use Skype. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I didn't think you That's were the one I... in Russia, but you never know. No, no, I might occasionally break out into like an Eastern European accent of non-distinct origin. That just happens, especially when I'm drinking. But. Um... Yeah, no, it's, that's why, like, on Twitter, it's Elizabeth Amber, and on Instagram, it's Amber Unmasked, I think. Um, on Pinterest, I think it's, like, the Amber Love, maybe. Like, every single thing, it's a different thing. It's tough. But, you know, that's why as soon as as soon as soon a new network crops up now, I have to try and, like, quickly secure a name. Right. I have, uh, I found out there's another Eric Palicki out in the world, so I've already made plans to kill him. Oh goodness! No, yeah, no, I mean, no. What you do is just kill kill other people and then frame him for the crime. Oh, that works. I just want to make sure, as long as he doesn't, you know, when the next, you know, book of faces shows up, that he doesn't take, you know, he doesn't take doesn't the take the name before I can get to it. Yeah, Epolicky's not bad though. You did the first initial last name. That's not bad. Yeah, that's just that's that's me on everything. I don't. I. Uh, you know, I used to try to come up with clever nicknames, and then uh, back in the day of uh, the Warren Ellis forum and and his other message boards, he always insisted that everybody use their on the real name on the real names, and then that just kind of stuck. Yeah, and it was actually it was because of his policy that I embraced that because I used to always use like a you know like a gaming alias or something, and I was like, you know what, I absolutely. Ad- adore and respect this policy that he has he's like they're your words you need to stick your name on them I'm like yeah awesome rock on and that was that was it i was like all right we're using names now exactly no more video game characters exactly all right right. well if you guys uh forgot you can follow me at elizabeth amber on twitter and go to patreon.com slash amber unmasked and uh the show notes will be at amber unmasked.com and keep your eye out then for Eric Plicky's next body of work. And um, he will be, of course, announcing that all over Twitter and reminding you. So it's called Fake Empire. Um, you should follow Darby Pop as well. And, you know, make sure that you uh, check out all of their other titles. 
So thanks, Eric. Thanks for all your time. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do this. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, and I'm glad that we finally made it work. Awesome. All right, you guys. Take care. Cheers.